welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I am so delighted you're here. And it's been really wonderful watching the numbers for the podcast grow week after week, month after month. And we began small, but we're getting to be much larger now. And many people are making high energy health. Many people are making this hour part of their regular week. And the reason they're doing it is often because they want positive media. They want positive information. They want positive inputs. And so I love bringing those to you every week on high energy health. And I'm so delighted that many people are now getting in the habit of listening and then not just being inspired, but also then applying these techniques in their their life. We focus on the practical here, not just ivory tower research and abstract information, but ideas and practices you can use and apply in your everyday life. Here's one I was reading about just this morning, a group of studies on something called relational spirituality. And this whole field of science and study was completely unknown to me a few months ago. But I read one intriguing study showing that if people have a spiritual practice, it's protective against depression. And in fact, the author of that particular study said that depression and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. And she did some studies. Her name is Lisa Miller. She did some studies that showed that in teenagers, there were very, very different experiences based on the stresses of teenage life. Now, of course, when you become a teenager, you're going to a different school, you're having social experiences, your body is changing. There are all kinds of stressors as life demands more of you. And for some teenagers, this drives them into depression. But for a subgroup of teenagers, all of those same stressors don't. And the group that don't get depressed, about 15% of teenagers are those that have a, a spiritual practice or some sense of being a spiritual being. So depression is what is the norm and the case, at least for for many teens. But if they have a spiritual practice, they're unlikely to become depressed. And if they do, that depression becomes a springboard for the next phase of their growth. And what she's also found in other research is that if you have a relationship with whatever you may call it, a, a higher power, if you have a relationship with a sense of universe as larger than yourself, in my book, Mind to Matter, I call this non-local mind. I borrowed that term from Larry Darcy, who wrote the amazing book, One Mind. So again, you're moving into a relationship with one mind, with non-local mind, with the universe. You may think of it as God. You may think of it as the infinite. You may think of it as your higher power or higher self. All of those things are relational spirituality, not an abstract spirituality, a really concrete sense of spirituality. And what this group of researchers has found is that if you have that sense of connection with something 
something larger than yourself in a very personal way, uh, a love relationship, like the Sufis, the Sufi tradition, they call that the beloved. You fall in love with the divine beloved and you connect with that divine beloved. That's a, that's a highly personal relationship. That kind of relational spirituality results in much better mental health than people who are either not having a spiritual practice at all or an abstract spirituality. Also in two later studies, she looked at gene expressions and found that there was very different gene expressions. Several genes were expressed differently in people with relational spirituality. And in a groundbreaking long-term study, she found that it actually changes the brain. Several parts of the brain change, change measurably. So this is brain anatomy changing if you had that relational spirituality. So that is so exciting that we can relate to our higher power, we can relate to something larger than ourselves, and that that is able to produce these shifts in our gene expression and our brains. So do yourself that favor of tuning in to something greater than yourself every day, make it as personal as, as you possibly can, fall in love with it the way the Sufis advocate, and you'll find that it has effects on your mood, on your happiness level, and it will definitely shift your ability to deal with life's inevitable setbacks and, and frustrations. So relational spirituality is one whole new group of studies that I'm looking at. I'm also working on a study myself that will apply that in a very direct way in a practical program. So every week on the show, we're bringing you information like this about the research, about the practices that make a real difference in your life. You will so enjoy hearing from my guest today. His name is Alfred Heath, and this is the first time he's been on the show, but I've actually been following him for about 20 years. And when I got his, his biography, I was really impressed to discover all the things he's explored, his studied, his helped develop, like a technique called B-Set fast. It was created by Dr. Larry Nims, and that goes back about 20 years. It's a tapping technique like EFT, but it has some powerful aspects to it that you won't find in EFT. And you will also see more about Alfred and his work at his website, alfredheath.com. He lives near Cambridge in the UK, and has also become the principal master trainer for BSET Free Fast or BS. FF for short. Alfred, it's so wonderful to have you on the show at last. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. And I've been a great fan of your work. GD and your genes just blew my mind. And I've got my copy of Bliss Brain hanging around here somewhere. So I, I was very surprised and humbled and feel very honored to be able to have this chat with you. Well, I, I first ran into your name many, many years ago because when I went to my first ASAP conference, I met Larry Nims. This is probably 2004, thereabouts. And I, I'm guessing you were probably getting into the field yourself then because I, I think I first came across your name around that same time. That's right. That's right. That was my first exposure actually to Be Set Free Fast. I'd been working with EFT and was just learning also the tapas acupressure technique. Prior to that, I'd been more involved with NLP and uh, Ericksonian hypnosis and meditation and energy healing. So this was a new development that I was coming into and I had no idea that I would become so involved and um, <laughs> develop a personal relationship with Dr. Larry Nims. Uh, yeah. And so we've had a lot of shows on tapping. We've had a lot of EFT masters on the show and mentioned a lot of the EFT research. So how is BSFF different from EFT? Well, it didn't start out terribly different. Larry had taken training with Roger Callahan around about the same time that Gary Craig did. 
And they both independently, they didn't know each other at the time, but they both independently felt that the protocols were much too complex. And they each independently developed a simplified universal protocol for the tapping. Where this diverged was sometime after they knew of each other. In fact, Larry was invited to present at a weekend group of seminars that uh, Gary had held. And by then, Larry was already starting to what I would call transcend the actual physical tapping process. At one point, he found there was something that he wanted to treat. And he noticed this sometimes in clients as well, that as soon as he started to motion to or even think about tapping, things started to resolve. So it caused him to reflect as to why that would be. And he surmised that, well, it must be that the subconscious mind is fulfilling this for me, fulfilling my intention. So eventually he uh, transitioned to a set of instructions directly given to the subconscious mind, no trance or anything, that it would resolve the emotional roots and dysfunctional beliefs that evolved from that significant emotional event that caused unresolved emotional experience reverberated through life from that point forward. He found that it was effective and efficient. I've personally found the same thing. It isn't to say that there are so many wonderful energy psychology modalities. In my mind, it's a matter of what feels comfortable, what feels right, what feels like the best fit. And um, so for me, and for many others, Be Set Free Fast has been that best fit. It's sort of, we believe in the energy psychology family, because what seems to happen, even though our focus is not energy per se, I get these wonderful reports while people are working through their issues with the Be Set Free Fast. It's the use of a cue to signal to the subconscious mind to eliminate the emotional roots and beliefs at a subconscious level. But Our belief is that the energy matrix is an aspect and expression of the subconscious mind. So, but what would happen is that I would see people in some cases experiencing the microcosmic orbit of the Taoist yoga, the the central vessel and the governor vessel connection with no reference to energy whatsoever. They would describe it to me. They had no idea that that's what it was. Similar sensations of energy rushing through the body or specific sensations on certain points that I'd have to look up after the session to find out, you know, what meridian point that was and what it signified. And almost without exception, it would be relevant to the issue that that person was. So it's very much in the family. It's just that the focus is on intention and letting the subconscious mind figure out what the elegant solution by way of whether it's energy meridians or or biophotons or whatever process, we're not as focused on that as we are the fact that the subconscious mind will fill in most cases whatever that intention is or it'll let us know what's in the way of it so we can address that. How cool. Yeah, you know, because EFT is at least way I teach it in research is very mechanistic. You have a, a client bring in a list of problems you score them from zero to 10, you start tapping when one's down at a zero or close to a zero, you move on to another, maybe one problem will trigger another problem, but you're just basically tapping through this sequence of acupressure points while you talk about the problem. And there really isn't any kind of explicit bringing in of energy or of the subconscious or of quantum physics or any of that. But what 
I have observed and all EFT trainers that I've talked to have observed is that when we, for example, are doing a, a we do basically a four-day training workshop and somewhere around hour three or four, it's almost alpha. This this sounds like so weird, but it almost feels like the atoms of the room begin to vibrate differently. And you're looking around the room, you can tell people are going into altered states. When we haven't had them in an EEG, several times we've had them hooked up to an EEG the whole way through an EFT workshop. And you can see that they're having like almost metaphysical experiences that their brains look like they're going into trance with uh, more delta waves, big delta waves, flashes of big gamma waves, more theta and alpha, reduction in worrying waves, beta waves. Uh, and so it's obvious to us that something more is going on here. There's no explicit training on that in, in EFT, but I think that uh, <laughs> it's pretty apparent that something's going on at the level of the subconscious mind and also of actual energy in the room. And so how do you, I mean, this is subconscious, you, you aren't consciously aware of it. How do you figure out what it is? How do you figure out what what's the active ingredient or, or? What's going on subconsciously with people because it isn't consciously accessible to them. Now, when they tap, I find often stuff that was subconscious becomes accessible to them. Yes. Like, do you have questions you ask them or how do you probe? Right. What we do is we do have a protocol of approaching the problem in many ways, very similar to EFT subjective units of the stress scale, put your mind on the issue. Right. Where does it register? Where do you feel it in your body? How strong is it from zero to 10? And then have them use their cue. And that's that's what we say is use your cue to have your subconscious mind eliminate the emotional roots and beliefs associated with this. So you instruct them to do that? Yes. Okay. Yes. And one could do it, you know, on their own, similar to how one could do EFT on their own. They would just guide themselves through the process, right? And then one of a few different things could happen. One, they feel a sense of relaxation come over them or relief. They feel lighter. They feel more grounded or more centered. They feel a flow of energy or they feel a stuckness or they feel some different emotion starts to emerge. So whatever happens is the next step in terms of where we go with it. We have an overall protocol, but we also follow the feedback. Okay. And then give us an example of of how this has worked for, say, a particular client, how they, what they came in with, what they, what their presenting issue was, how you then began to approach them, what discoveries they made, and what the outcomes are, like a typical BSF session. Oh, gosh. So, well, in a typical session, we might address some global issues initially, issues around one's relationship with life, self-esteem, relationships with the world, relationships with other people the core relationships of their significant others, father, mother, perhaps sibling. But when someone comes in with, let's say, for example, if someone comes in with something like a spider phobia, and so we'll go through the process to, well, what what happens when you experience a spider when you see a spider and they'll already you'll you'll see the changes you know in their pallor and and you know they're like this and they'll give a sudden scale the way i work with it is I'll, I'll say okay you have registered this for your subconscious mind the fact that you're going to be using your cue implies that you want your subconscious mind to address the unresolved emotions and beliefs around it so just be aware of the sensations in, on, and around your body and your breathing. You don't have to think about anything special. But when you're ready, use your cue, knowing that that's the implication. And they would. And sometimes I'll see perhaps their pupils will dilate after that, or perhaps you'll see them 
start to settle in and, and relax or take a breath or just get a far away look. And then we'll revisit and say, okay, what first, what did you notice? Some people don't notice that much and, and that's okay. Some people are very in tune with what they're noticing in their body and in their you know felt experience. And we'll get that report back. Every answer is the right answer. And I'll check back with them and say, well, okay, so go to that thought again or that experience again of experiencing a spider and see where it scales for you now. We'll have done a like a one to 10 scale before. And um, almost invariably, it'll be maybe half of what it was. Hmm. In some cases, it, it's going to write down and surprise at that, obviously. And we'll continue. Sometimes other things will arise. In one case, I had a friend at work who knew that I did this work. And he said, I have this weird thing that I do. I, every time I take a drink, I have to make a deliberate gulp. And I can't take a drink without taking a deliberate gulp like this. And I want to, I think it's, there's something not right about it. So we went through the protocol. And what he remembered was a memory came up of him choking on a drink. And so we cleared that through the process, but then something was still hanging on. It wasn't at a zero yet. And then, so I had him use the cue again, and he had a memory of it happening while his fiance was with him. And he saw the look of fear and horror on her face. So we used the cue for that. Then it cleared completely. And mm. this was in a matter of just a few minutes. And then what's an example of a cue? Uh, well, the cue could be any signal that you choose to give to your subconscious mind. Most frequently, it's a, a word. So and it doesn't have to be any kind of special word. It's just a word that you use as a signal. I like to tell people that it's like a faceplate on a wall, on a light switch. It doesn't matter how you decorate the light switch. It has one function. You turn the light on or off. <laughs> right? Now, that's not to say that words don't have power. So I do recommend people don't use you know, strongly negative words or that have a negative association for them. But it can be something very neutral, like peanut butter or, you know, cassette tape. It doesn't matter. It's in those initial instructions to the subconscious mind, you designate the word as this is this is the high sign for you, subconscious mind, for you to go to work. So, and it's whenever one notices something that they either feel or suspect or learn has emotional roots at a subconscious level, some out of proportion emotional reaction or or thought that they can't get rid of or behavior or inhibition that's getting in the way of their you know enjoyment of life. So they notice that. And then their use of the cue is that conscious, deliberate intention that they're expressing to the subconscious mind for it to eliminate it at source. Okay, yeah, that's cool. And that's, that's also becoming mindful. And that, again, is going to give you a lot of clues. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. I'm sharing with Alfred Heath. You can see more about his work at his website, alfredheath.com. For more on BSFF, go to bsetfreefast.com. You're listening to High Energy Health, and we'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. 
My name is Dawson Church, and I'm so grateful you have made high-energy health a part of your week, a part of your consciousness, a part of your listening experience, and a part of your life, because we just need to surround ourselves with all the positive music, the positive people, the positive thoughts, the positive inputs we can get. I'm so struck by how affected people are by what's going on around them. And you think that there's been crazy stuff all, all along. I mean, go back in history, there's been crazy stuff every day of every year, but people are more affected now. And one report by the American Psychological Association found that referrals to psychiatrists have almost doubled in the last three years. And so people are more affected for whatever reason by all the craziness going on in the world now than they used to be. So when the pressure gets greater from all that negative stuff, just up your level of positive media, positive mood, meditation, tapping, every possible resource you can to really be an antidote to all of those things so you can have the best possible life. And part of that is high energy health, so I'm glad you're listening. And again, for more on Alfred's work, go to his website, alfredheath.com. For more on BSFF, go to bsetfree.com fast.com. So I'm just really curious, Alfred, what does tapping come into this? Do you still tap in the course of doing the work? No, there's no tapping anymore with Be Set Free Fast. We rely on the queue. And there was a brief period of time, I think you probably recall there were temporal tapping around the outside of the, yes. the skull, uh, around the ear. Larry seemed to find that when there was a particularly difficult issue, tapping there would uncover something at a deeper level. And I went along with it, and, but but something about it niggled me because I, my thought was, well, if I could do this part without the tapping, why can't I do this part without the tapping? So I really investigated the instructions of the subconscious mind, and it struck me that, that the instructions as they were written were very yang in terms of intention you'll do this so subconscious mind you'll do this you'll you'll do this and i thought to myself probably the most profound experience i've had that opened me up in meditation was the word allow and so looking at it from that perspective i offered some modifications to the instructions to the subconscious mind about allowing and accommodating and inviting bringing more of that yin concept <laughs> into the into the process and that took care of it never had to do the temporal tapping again. So there's this intricate and amazing relationship between energy and consciousness that I think is just a beautiful thing. And it works in both directions. Interesting. Yeah. And when you are using energy, when you're aware of consciousness, when you're tuned into the body, uh, which those instructions that you gave us earlier sounded a lot like mindfulness, really becoming mindful of where you were, you have so many entry points to change. And sometimes one is really useful. Sometimes you might find another one more powerful. And so when you have many techniques, many entry points that way, whatever the, the challenge is that you face, you're able to overcome it. So you'll find you're able to then access these subconscious blocks, you're able to, as they're accessed, they shift. Do you need to do anything like, are there ever ones you mentioned being stuck earlier? What if the block, you can, if you can figure out what it is, but you can't shift it? Right. So one of the things that Larry developed was what he calls the fail-safe sequence. In this fail-safe sequence, it is things that are put in place as sort of roadblocks to prevent change at a subconscious level. 
level. So there's a series of statements that, and I've, I neglected to mention that muscle testing is a, is a very useful part of visa free fast. It's not required, but we find it very helpful to be able to, to test statements to see what's happening at a subconscious level. But we would muscle test these statements. I want to be free of this problem. I'm willing to be free of this problem. I give myself permission to be free of this problem. I deserve to be free of this problem. This sequence also deals with things like secondary gain. If someone's getting something out of the problem to address that. So we find that usually through treating that sequence, if there's a block, if things just aren't shifting, that will almost always take Care. Interesting. Yeah, I remember my mentor, Norman Sheeney, who was the founder of the American Holistic Medical Association. Norm was doing a lot of muscle testing, and he was working with people who were saying the statement, I want to live or I want to die. And he found that most people tested negative a week for I want to live and tested positive for I want to die. He was were patients in his clinic. And so he said that often there are these subconscious blocks that were standing in the way of their getting better, that secondary gain of whatever kind. And uh, that was a real obstacle to their healing. As a matter of fact, that's one of the statements that gets treated in the global issues when we start the work. I want to live and I want to die. Often it'll be just as you say, or they'll be weak for both. So they're ambivalent. So what do you do if they aren't sure like that? Again, the ambivalence itself is a problem. So we treat that and that usually clears it up by itself in terms of wanting to die and not wanting to live. That's just been experience with it. I'm not sure, you know, I can't fully explain to you how and why that is because it's all in there. I could theorize, but, you know, it'd only be theories. Yeah, but it's useful to have that way of reflection and feedback of muscle testing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with muscle testing, it's done in, in a number of ways with a number of different muscles, but often it's holding your arm out straight while the practitioner puts a slight pressure downward on it. It'll also be done on the side of your body with the practitioner moving your arm slightly up. It can be done with your fingers and fingertips. There are various ways of muscle testing, but it's it's used a lot to, to unearth things that are, again, are subconscious. It's what your body is saying. We're going to go to a break right now. You're listening to High energy health. My name is Dawson Church. My guest today is Alfred Heath. His website is alfredheath.com and we'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on this show, I bring you the cutting edge of healing, I bring you research, I bring you practical tools that you can use to really shift the direction of your life. My guest today is Alfred Heath. His website is alfredheath.com. I'm really curious as to how you got into this whole realm. You mentioned going to ASAP in the early 2000s and learning about these methods, but what took you there? And what was your healing trajectory before that? Oh, gosh. So I would probably say that the search for healing, like so many of us, was a big part of that. I grew up in a family that had a lot of dysfunction. My father was an alcoholic, and there was a lot of family dysfunction around that. And at the same time, I developed an intense curiosity for things like self-hypnosis and meditation and psychology in my teen years. In my early 20s, I started to experience sixth sense events dreams that would come true a couple of weeks later or being able to spontaneously out of nowhere know what something where something was or 
what someone was thinking. They would come haphazardly, but they were undeniable. At about age 25, these experiences started to become intensely spiritual and mystical. And along with those, that series of experiences over a number of years, there was just an intuitive sense of the importance of wholeness of psycho-spiritual wholeness, of mind-body wholeness. And that led me to um, look at the New Age stuff, because it was about that time, late 80s, early 90s, the, the, the New Age was in full flower. And at the same time, I felt that quite a bit of it was ungrounded. I, I delved into energy healing at the time, um, and I just felt that I wanted something that was more scientifically or or grounded, something people could could um, approach without having to think of woo-woo. So I uh, pursued psychology. And then my plan was to integrate everything. And then I ran into EFT, I think, in about 1995 and, and started dabbling in that. A couple of years later, TAT started dabbling in that. And then by about 2004, I decided to really buy in and, and go for training. But my my trajectory has been one that, that, that comes from the mystical, spiritual perspective. So the way I look at all of this stuff comes from that from that space, even though it's important for some people to have a strictly psychological conversation about it all. <laughs> yeah, we pretend it's psychological, but I, I joke around sometimes. I say, you know, 500,000 years ago, we would have been shamans. We would have been doing rituals around the campfire. Now we're doing randomized controlled trials and calling it psychology. <laughs> There you, that's it. There you have it. <laughs> you just fit in with the uh, the paradigm of the time. So paradigm mm. changes. You do whatever it is to make make it most effective. So yeah, but again, you know, you're looking for effectiveness. You're looking for what really works. What really really works for your clients. And I know you've been experimenting with many different kinds of techniques as well. But I'm really curious about that early life because uh, research again is showing now that many teenagers, many people in their 20s are having these spiritual awakenings spontaneously. I, I don't know if you were raised religious, but even people who weren't that totally outside the context of a religion or a church they're having these awakenings so that's right i mean uh, and i was you know i went to church my mother was searching she had multiple sclerosis so in in a way she was searching for her healing so the so many different churches that she dragged us to and what i it, it gave me kind of an aversion to organized religion but it also gave me a belief that there was a nugget of truth that was seemed to like a silver thread that ran through everything and that's what i was more interested in so I began exploring things like buddhism and sufism and sh shamanism and those sorts of traditions the asian traditions and i i found that because they were not part of my culture, I could see the deeper into the philosophy of them and then come back to my own and see that it was all there. It was just hidden in culture. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I love that image of you used of a thread of truth as a thread of truth of them. Uh, Brother Sh David Steinelross says it's like people digging wells into an underground aquifer and then they hit a well and then there's water and then they are having this wonderful experience of being nourished by the water. And then somebody else like, you know, 100 miles away, 1000 miles away, they're digging in another well, hitting the same aquifer, another well and uh, different culture, different time, different, different history. <laughs> and so they mm -hmm. then, you know, Again, it's the water that they, it looks totally different. So you look, you know, you look at Hinduism, look at Buddhism, look at Judaism, look at Taoism. Uh, they all seem very different from each other. And yet they're they're all, <laughs> that's the they same. They have the same core. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very talking about. See, so you had to perceive that actually when you were really young. Inklings, inklings of it. The these spiritual experiences, I didn't know, know quite what to make of. I, I, I was in the Air Force at the time as a sergeant. So, and mental illness, psychotic mental illness runs in different places in my family. So I was very, I really kept to myself about it. I had a sense that there, that I wasn't unbalanced because I was able to function quite well. And I was able to differentiate that from mundane life quite well. But yeah, it was largely in my twenties and it got to a point where it just was too uncomfortable to remain in the military. And I made my break and went to study psychology and it felt like just, you know, a jailbreak, <laughs> you know, because I was able to talk about what I was experiencing. I was able to talk about and to some degree in mental health circles, but, but uh, these days I'm, I'm free and open about it all with anybody. It doesn't matter. And, and it seems nobody, if they do think it's weird, they keep that to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting because when you actually start talking to psychologists and people in that field, you discover that a lot of them have had what are called anomalous experiences like psychokinesis and clairvoyance and a ton of them had, they just don't talk about it. So it's like this conspiracy of silence around all these experiences that people are having, but everyone's having them. And research shows even that atheists and people who are agnostics that have no uh, religious background, they're having them as well just part of the human condition. We're going to come back after a break. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is Alfred Heath. Go to his website, alfredheath.com to learn more. I'll see you right back here after a short break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I want you to be high energy. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be happy. I was just in my break today before the show. I was had a short break. I was running around. I was jumping on my mountain bike and pedaling up the steepest hill I could find and just full of energy and thinking, wow, what a privilege to be alive, to be breathing, to be energetic and to have this mysterious thing called life in our bodies. So give thanks for that every day. I was talking to a guy recently who was saying, oh, I have nothing to be grateful for. And I was saying, well, you're breathing, aren't you? <laughs> and we can always come as close as the breath to gratitude. Just the fact we're breathing, we're alive, we're moving around, just that is a priceless gift. So be grateful, count your blessings, live a life of happiness and joy. And again, the tools we share with you on the show are going to give you practical ways of actualizing that. So Alfred, you learned BSFF, you learned EFT, you learned various other techniques, and you've been developing your own. You mentioned being curious about hypnosis when you were a teenager and then having all of these anomalous experiences in your 20s. So what else do you do? And then where are you taking this body of knowledge? So I think my path has been one of seeking out all the myriad different facets of these modalities and then drawing back into simplicity, sort of in an in a synthesized way and have been aware of this desire to integrate and synthesize, to simplify, get into the complexity and then simplify again at a higher level. And so whether or not that's what I've ended up with, that's been the internal sense of the process. So the conclusion that I came to 
doing the, the NLP and the energy work, having these experiences, the energy psychology was that, again, a common thread in all of this was an intention and awareness and sort of allowing oneself to occupy an expanded sense of consciousness. And so from that perspective, the modality that I developed that I use exclusively for things like healing is what I call zero-point intention. And it's probably similar to many other types of intention-based healing. Lynn McTaggart, in fact, I'm a great fan of hers and her work, William H. Tiller, and many, many others, whereby an intention is set that I guess the difference was is that it incorporated parts of things like remote Reiki attunements. So there's this intention set for someone to have, for someone or, or several people to have a healing experience or a healing session. I could specify how many. I could specify to some degree how long they might be. I could specify that they would receive them at a time and place of their own choosing, which is what I normally do. And uh, they would, person who receives the session chooses their time and place. I give a set of guidelines. I don't need to be aware when they're doing it. And they'll receive the session. Normally, they'll be, you know, lying down and they'll experience things like, in some cases, they'll experience healing modalities that I don't even know, like joint adjustments and things like that. And it'll always be a great surprise to me. But but usually, it's a sensation of some sort of energy process or some sort of altered state. And it it seems to work very effectively. Um, and I've been doing it now for about 18 years. And so is it something that you are recording or is it something that you're just intending without any kind of recording or written or audio process? No, there's no physical technology associated with it. It's the expression of intention. The first way I tried to testbed this was starting a Yahoo group and setting a very deliberate intention that anyone who joined that group would have six healing sessions. And as long as they reported back what they experienced after each session, they would keep on having them up to six. And at one point I had over 300 people on this Yahoo group reporting in and experiencing, you know, these healing sessions. And in some cases, I, you know, every case, I had no idea what they were, you know, seeking healing for. I had no idea how it worked specifically. I had no idea what specific steps in their healing unfolding were taking place, but, and yet it did. So my take on this was that my expanded state of consciousness with the intention invited their expanded state of consciousness and wisdom in terms of what they needed. And the two of them potentiated within this uh, zero point. There's no traveling of energy. This is just a manifestation of energy in place. Yeah, it's that way many, many years. And I don't pretend to completely understand it, but William Tiller's work has been instrumental in helping me to try to get my head around what seems to be going on. Yeah, and you can read uh, Bill Tiller's books. Also, Irvin Laszlo has some books on this, and Claude Swanson, who just just re recently died. Claude also has a couple of really powerful books on this, which explain all the all the the possible explanations in physics of this. Well, Alfred, I predict you're just getting started, <laughs> and that you're going to do some amazing <laughs> things, write some amazing things in, in the years to come. I look forward to connecting with you on a regular basis. Thank you so much for trusting your own lead, trusting what the universe has shown you, and then sharing with people and moving through. All these these cycles to being where you are today and sharing what you do today thank you so much for being here and it's just a privilege to connect with you thank you so much for offering me this time and letting me share all this with you and with all watchers and listeners it's, it's been wonderful
And who knows what our intentions, our heating intentions will have produced today. So thank you all for being here. Please come back and join us every week for High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. 